Welcome to Gateway Church Wirral Online. We're so delighted that you're with us this morning. So great that you can be a part of our live streamed gathering. Just to welcome you to this space and what we're all about. Um, to say that we as a church, we're all about seeing people meet with God, encounter him for all his goodness and his grace and for lives to be changed by him. As a church, we want to see a world transformed, made better and better through every life transformed by the grace of God. So our hope and our prayer for you today, meet with Jesus in the things that we're saying, in the things that we're singing, in the way that we're opening up the word of God, which is alive for us today. We want you to know Jesus, know that he loves you, know that he has a plan for your life. And as we're going through our gathering this morning, do please connect with us here in this live stream space. You can fill in our connection card. The tab, I think, is at the top of your screen. Request prayer if you'd like to. There are great, friendly people who would love to pray with you. And do just connect with us in any and every way that you'd love to. As a church, we gather. That's what we're about today. When we come to the close of our gathering, I'll tell you how you can connect with us going forward into the week. So have a really great time. Be blessed. Enjoy yourself and enjoy Jesus, we pray. It's good to shout out the praise of God, isn't it? It's, it's much better than that to shout out the praise of God, I think. Um, it's incredible, isn't it? That, that sense that we were beggars, now we're royalty. Yeah? That we were sinners, that we were prisoners, and now we're running free. This is the gospel of Christ Jesus. And it's immeasurably good. Would you pray with me for a moment or two? Let's, let's lift our praises to God. We thank you, dear loving, kind, wondrous, powerful Savior, Jesus Christ, that you have taken us from death and you have brought us to life. The Lord Jesus Christ, you have taken us out of the darkness of our own wickedness and our own lack of understanding. And you have brought us into the light that shines from your own beautiful self. Jesus, we can see. Jesus, we've come alive in you. And Lord Jesus Christ, we praise you this morning because you are good. And you're good to us. Lord God, not only are you good, but you have brought your goodness even to us. Even to us. And Lord Jesus Christ, we know that this is not our doing. It's not our own strength. Not, there's not a one of us that can boast in this. This is the gift of God in Christ Jesus. So Lord Jesus, we praise you. As we uh, move into the rest of our gathering together, we want to just have right at the forefront of our minds and filling our whole hearts and spirits that you have given us freely this gift of life. And Jesus, it is treasure. Thank you. Thank you, God. And amen. Amen. If you want to grab a seat for a moment or two, you're welcome to do so. We're going to come straight back into praising God in just a moment, uh, but, but just so that you don't have to, to stand there for too long. And um, I just wanted to, to share a couple of things um, for you to be kind of praying into and sharing and, uh, and, and, uh, and the wonderful things. It's been mentioned already that the Easter is coming. It is coming, and uh, it is just the most magnificent time of the year, isn't it? I know they sing these songs about Christmas saying it's the most wonderful time of the year, but they're wrong. I just want to say that right out there at the beginning. They're wrong. Easter is the most wonderful time of the year, because this is what moves us from death to life. Without the cross, we have nothing. Indeed, we are nothing. And we're destined for worse than nothing. Indeed, eternal death and damnation. But through Christ Jesus, we have everything. 
because we have him. Because he gives himself freely to us at the cross and he rose again so that we might be alive in him. God is good. Bible class aren't going out yet. I'm not preaching. We're going to worship God some more, so do please sit down. There's no rush. Um, Just to say to you, um, Easter is coming. Yesterday, uh, we had a wonderful time as we started to begin to celebrate this with Messy Church. And, um, and, and with Messy Church, um, I think they, were, they, they bought a lot of Easter eggs. A lot of Easter eggs is a good thing. I think anticipating about 50 children. In the end, there were 85 children who came for an Easter egg. I thought it was good. You're, you're not whooping because you're like, I was hoping for leftover Easter eggs. That's what you're thinking, isn't it? There are no leftovers. And so they had to run out and get more food and more Easter eggs. It was absolutely fantastic to welcome so many. So a huge uh, thank you to all you lovely people who came and helped our children, all the children of our, our neighborhoods, to not get lost in our building. I had a quick sweep earlier. I did not find any leftover children. Um, I was looking for eggs, didn't find any kids either. Um, That was fantastic. A lot, a lot of fun. Um, Easter is coming. Um, We've got out a lot of the details to you via our WhatsApp, via our social channels. Um, Good Friday morning at 10.30, we'll gather for communion. And then on Easter Sunday morning at 10.30 again, we're going to celebrate the life of Christ. I would urge you, just be thinking, who needs to know that Jesus is alive? And, and, And yes, it's you, and it's me, but who else? Who else needs to know that Jesus is alive? I want to be starting to pray for them, even right now. Because look, we as a church, we don't believe that some event or some moment is going to bring salvation to people. We know that it's us. It's us. We are going to bring the salvation of Jesus Christ to those people around us. And what we get to do is we get to utilize all of the strength and the goodness and the grace that God gives us as a church so that we might bring another person and another person and another person to know that Jesus loves them too. And on that note, can you um, ferret around underneath your bottom and find out this thing that you sat on when you came into church this morning? Um, You're all very good. You're all like, I did not sit on it. I have moved it delicately uh, to the side. Um, I want you to have a look at this. Um, You've probably um, become aware over recent weeks, we've mentioned it on a few occasions, um, that the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association are bringing a tour of gospel events um, to the UK. And, um, And we have one just over in Liverpool at what is still really the Echo Arena, isn't it? I don't care what they say. It's the Echo Arena. And that's coming on the 14th of May. So on the 14th of May, there's going to be a fantastic presentation of the gospel. Um, There's going to be wonderful music, just preaching the gospel, loads of other great things, stories of faith in Jesus Christ that's going to be happening right over there. Now, the Billy Graham Association, they say this. They say, we don't do mass evangelism. We do personal evangelism on a massive scale. And I love that. And I love that. Because just having a huge number of people in a room doesn't necessarily mean anything at all. But having a personal connection around the gospel whereby we each love someone well enough to say, I'd love you to hear this good news. That's what really matters. And the heartbeat of that is this little card. And it says, I am Andrew. I'm looking around the room and I'm like, I can't even, I don't think I can see anyone who's actually called Andrew. Um, But, This intention is for it to be all of us. In the Bible, 
Um, Jesus called his disciples, but he didn't actually call all of them individually. Actually, what happened on some occasions is Jesus called some, and they then went and called some. And that was exactly the case with Andrew in the scriptures. And because of Andrew, Peter came. And, and, and because of people like him, you're going to hear when we preach a bit later on, uh, Christian tradition says that, that this guy, Andrew, actually went to Ukraine to take the gospel. I don't know whether it's true, but it might be true. People like Andrew had an understanding that this wasn't just for the professional Christians, that it, this wasn't just for Jesus to go everywhere all around the world. Even before the day of Pentecost and Jesus sending people in the power of the Spirit, people like Andrew understood, I could tell somebody about this Jesus. I could tell somebody, and that's exactly what he did. And so our heart, and, and this um, event on May the 14th gives us a really good moment to be thinking about this and praying into this, is for you to turn over the card and have a look at the other side. And there's four things that we want you to do as you introduce a friend to Jesus. Pray, bring, share, and follow up. Pray. Pray for someone, someone you know who doesn't yet know the love of Jesus Christ. This is for absolutely every single one of us. If you've got a pen on you right now, you can do this right now. If you don't have a pen on you right now, you can get out your phone and type it into your phone and make a little note in your phone. Who you, I'm looking at you and no one's doing it. Do it right. And you want to say do it right now. What I mean is do it right now. I'm quite a simple soul. Um, so just do it right now. And if you've got a pen, scribble on this card right now. Who do you know that you love, that you're invested in their life, that you can be praying for right in these days so that they will know the love of Jesus Christ? If you don't have a pen, make a note on your phone and then scribble it on the card when you get home later. What we're inviting you to do is pray for this person every day. Ask God to open their heart and give you opportunities to share his love with them. And as you're praying, what happens is that God actually takes you at your words. And, and, and the gospel is good. And so God gives opportunity for us to love our friends and to share something of the love of Jesus with them. So don't wait. Don't, look, it's not about events. You're it. You are the hope of the world. Don't, don't get too worried about this. By the hope of the world, I mean you're the hope of your neighbor or, or your husband or your wife or your kids or your colleagues or whoever it is, your friend. doesn't matter. Spend time with them. Just love people. Care for them. And, and deepen your friendship with them and see how it is that you can hear their story and share something of the story of God with them. And then bring them. You know, bring them to church at Easter time. That's what I've just been talking about. Bring them along to this event on May the 14th. Bring them when your transformed community is having a social event or, or a meal together. And any way and any opportunity to bring people into community and to hear the gospel and to see these things. And then by God's grace, we're wanting to see people. We're believing that God will bring people into his family of faith. And that doesn't mean our job done. I can stop loving them now. I've been loving them just to get them over the line and now I can, no, that's not love, that's not friendship, that's not care. We follow up with one another, we live life with one another, we help one another to understand what it is to walk with Jesus until we see him face to face. So would you grab a hold of that card again? Stop looking at me. 
Grab a hold of the card. Grab a hold everybody in the room. You think I'm talking metaphorically, and I am not talking metaphorically. Please grab a hold of the card, and we're going to pray for a moment or two. So I would just invite you just to close your eyes for a second. Think about that person that God is laying on your heart, the person that you care about and that we believe God cares about infinitely more. And just begin to pray for them right now. And say, God, I pray that through me, they would begin to know the love that you have for them and the means of their salvation. God, I pray that you would grow my heart for that person whom I love. That you would give me opportunity to share your goodness and your grace with them. Help me to open my mouth, to tell them how they can find you and walk with you. Help me to bring them along, Lord Jesus. Easter time, May the 14th, my transformed community. Bring them into community with you, Lord Jesus Christ. And then help me by your grace to walk with them as they grow in newness of faith. My Lord and my God, I pray for each and every one of us, even as we are praying for the people around us that we love. For some of us, it's our kids, maybe even our adult children. For some of us, it's spouses. Some of us, it's other members of the family. Some of us, it's friends, neighbors, colleagues, school friends. For some of us, it's people, and and they've been on our hearts for for days. For some of us, it's been for decades. But Lord Jesus Christ, we lift each and every loved one before you because we believe that you are their salvation. And Lord Jesus Christ, we're committing ourselves. We're committing ourselves, Lord Jesus Christ, not to put this card down today and walk out of the building and forget about it, but Jesus, to put this card in our our wallets or in our Bibles, to to put it on our fridges or behind the wing mirror, sorry, the the rear view mirror in our cars or or wherever it is, Lord God, that's going to prompt us to pray and to care and to share. Lord Jesus Christ, we trust you for salvation. You have saved us and we pray, do it again. Do it again. And Lord Jesus, what you have done for us, Lord God, please do through us so that we might have the joy of seeing our loved ones saved by your grace. Amen. Amen. Church, would you stand with me? Would you put this card right now somewhere? You're not going to forget it. Put it in your pocket. Put it in your Bible. Put it in your handbag. Put it somewhere you're not going to forget it. Not going to leave it. Not going to walk away. Not going to leave the love and the intention behind Let's commit today to be an Andrew. Andrew then went to find his brother and he brought him to meet Jesus. He can do this. He can do this. And we know it because someone did it for us. Help us, Jesus. Let's worship him again. Let's praise him. Let's bring glory to God, the God of our salvation. Amen. The scriptures teach us in Romans 8 that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Why don't you just lift your life before the Lord this morning? There's an awful lot of stuff that we would do well just to give into the hands of God, isn't there? The needs of life. 
maybe the struggles of life, maybe the things that are distracting you this morning, just give them over to God. He gave you his own son that you might be saved. He wants to do wonders in your life today. He wants to give you everything you need to be all that he's called you to be. Just hand your life into his hands this morning. Call on him. Call on him. Trust in him. Believe in him. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, we praise you this morning. We praise you this morning, Jesus. Yes, Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that before the earth was formed, you, the Father, the Spirit, you had determined this means of salvation. That Jesus Christ as the Father preordained that you should be given on our behalf. You came freely to give yourself as a ransom for we, the many in need of you. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you. And we thank you that this is something that the Spirit of God has worked among us. That we have believed by faith and the Spirit of God has granted this salvation to us. That we live according to the Spirit. We're being made holy, even like Jesus, according to the Spirit. The Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, is at work in us, lives in us. This Spirit is the seal and the guarantee of our salvation. We await your coming. We will be with you, dear God. So, Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that we wouldn't be a people who are foolish and bewitched, returning to the strength of our own goodness or our ability to live according to the, the, the law or according to even the laws of the world in which we're living in. Lord Jesus, we must trust in you. The Spirit gives life and nothing else. Nothing that this world which is passing away, nothing that it can offer gives life. You give life. And I pray, Jesus, that as we come around your word, we will trust in you and in you alone. Lord Jesus, if we've been trusting in ourselves and we've been sinning because of that, then God, I pray we would have the humility to repent before you today and to receive again your salvation. Lord Jesus, if we've been proudly thinking that we've got this, we're good enough, we're doing well, then I pray also that we would repent and come humbly and say, Spirit, would you fill us again? We need you. We need you. We need you, God. We need you, God. Fill us with your Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. You're welcome to grab a seat if you'd like to do so. I'm sorry about the confusion before, but the Bible class can go out if they'd like to do that. Um, that would be fantastic. Join us again at the end for communion, would you? That would be great. Um, just to say that that little card that we were just talking about and that you've put in your pockets or your handbags or wherever it is, um, we're just sending it out right now via our church prayer line and that's coming out via that WhatsApp there so if you're joining us online you can get that as well if you're not part of these things then do fill in a connection card here in the building if we don't have your details just scan the QR code in front of you and tell us who you are and as much as you want to let us know and we'll help to connect you it's so important 
We are a church that gathers and we love to gather and we do this um, every Sunday, but we're a church that recognizes that the grace of God and his power is at work within us when we leave this building. I don't know, does anybody know that? That your God is the same God when you walk out of those doors. Does anybody believe that? Okay, I need to start praying for you right now because you think that God lives in this building. Is that what you think? God lives in you. He lives in you. Uh, and this, this treasure, the gospel of Christ Jesus, and indeed his presence by means of his spirit, the Bible says, is in you. Even though we're like jars of clay, humble, breakable, fragile, simple, very ordinary, and yet made extraordinary by his presence in us. God goes with us. Uh, look, next Sunday... We don't have a morning gathering because next Sunday morning is what we call Scattered Sunday. And we're going to be all out and about in our transformed communities. Scattered Sunday is not the, it's not the day off for our church. Scattered Sunday is our best day on. It's our best day on. And every other Sunday is preparation and celebration for the mission that Jesus Christ has called us into. That was a great place for an amen. Even better, a hallelujah. And, and if you could do my heart good, and if you could look like you mean it when you say it, that would be absolutely fantastic. Um, somebody just say to their face, would you just come alive this morning, face? I know it's Sunday morning, and the weather seems to have gone chilly again, but it'd be great. Um, everything that we do on all of our Sunday gatherings is preparation for and celebration of the mission of Jesus Christ that he has called us into. Scattered Sunday, we're in our transformed communities, we're growing in the gospel, going with the gospel, we're sharing it with people around and about us. If you're not yet part of a transformed community, um, then you need to be um, help us to help you to get connected um, and, and if there isn't one for you, then help us to help you and we'll make a new transformed community. Um, that's what we want to do. We want everybody to have a place where they can grow in the gospel and go with the gospel. Um, in the evening, 5 p.m., we're going to be celebrating what God has been doing. And I would urge you um, to be here. Um, generosity with your time and gratitude for the work of God are the means of entry into what he wants to do. Um, the, the more generous you are and the more thankful you are, the more God does. Um, I believe this and I know it. Um, this is not only biblical, but it's experience. Uh, the more we say, I can't, I don't have enough, and, and the more we forget about what he's doing, the less he will do through us. Um, this is just the truth. Um, so I urge you, be as generous as you can with what God has given to you, and be as thankful as you can for what God is doing, and he will do more. Um, so that is uh, next Sunday. Um, after our gathering this morning, there's a welcome lunch for those who are new to our church. I've invited as many folks as I know who are new, um, and, and some of you, you stay on afterwards. We're just going to share some food. I've ordered a lot of food. I, I don't really know any other quantity than a lot. Um, this, is a, this is a little failure of mine, um, and I've ordered a lot. So look, if you're new here this morning, even if you're new on the live stream and you can get it really quickly, um, don't, you don't have to wait, stand on ceremony for an invitation. If you're new and you want to get to know us a bit better, hang around afterwards. We'll head downstairs. We will eat and all will be good. Um, so that's your invitation. Um, right now, we're going to dive into the word of God um, just for the next little while.
And um, we as a church have been doing kind of three little mini-series of sermons in the Bible about three quite big topics because we're wanting to learn how to think Christianly and speak and act Christianly about these things. And these three mini-topics are, are those of money, sex, and power. I stole the title shamelessly from this wonderful book. Um, I've recommended it numerous times. Should be on commission. I'm not on commission. Uh, but if you're looking for a good read, then read this. Money, Sex, and Power by Richard Foster. Really, really good. We've considered uh, the topic of money. Uh, we've considered the topic of sex. You will be glad to know we've moved on now to the topic of power. Whew. And um, what we do each time is we think biblically, what is it? And then on the second occasion, we think, well, how is it misused, misappropriated? How has it gotten broken in our world? And then on the third occasion, we think, well, has God got a better vision? Is he wanting to do something wonderful through uh, this? And, um, and we've, we've done that for the topics of money and we've done it for the topic of sex. We're going to do it for the topic of power. My hope and my prayer is that you don't think something's easier than other things or more difficult than other things. Or you don't think that we're just learning for the sake of learning. The Bible is given to us um, so that we might see God's plan uh, for which, uh, by which humans can flourish. He made you and he knows how you're meant to live. And because we knew better, we thought, we trusted ourselves, we made ourselves the king of our own universe, we sinned, we separated ourselves from God. Because of that, we're desperately broken. We were lost and alone, and yet God still had a plan for us to flourish, now and forevermore. And so he came. He came to be the way of entry into God's plan. Jesus himself has said to you and to me, come on, come on. Doesn't matter how broken you are, doesn't matter how far off you are, doesn't matter how good you think you are, come, I'll welcome you. You can come on in. And so we want to think about all of these things because, because God invites us into the way of flourishing. Our world offers us false salvations and false promises. And, you know, I know I said we've kind of talked about the topic of sex our world is obsessed with that one. I just want to kind of reference a few things that I read um, that quite apparent within our culture in the UK um, just this week. Our world is obsessed about the topic of, uh, of our, our sex and our sexual identity and who we are and all these kinds of things. But it only ever offers us easy or seemingly easy options that never actually satisfy, that never actually give us salvation. You know, in the UK, I'm just this week... I was reading that in Sussex, um, because people struggle with their gender identity, they've decided, let's just make it easy. And so GPs now are being told to offer hormone treatments for people who want to transition their gender identity. Interestingly, I read the experience of, of, of a guy who had transitioned his gender many years ago, and he said, it won't work. So this is somebody who's actually transitioned their gender identity. He says, this isn't helpful. He said, I got counseling every two weeks because I was struggling. And they're offering hormones and a meeting once a, once a year. Our world offers easy, seemingly easy options. And it, it breaks people. It's not enough. Just this week, our parliament voted to make permanent um, abortions via post and what had been a measure taken 
during the pandemic is now a permanent thing. And the evidence is strong that ladies are, are taking these pills at home and having abortions without any care, without any love, and it's breaking lives. Our world offers easy options, it seems, and lives are harmed. And just this week, this coming week, um, something that was passed a long time ago, no-fault divorce, they call it, and that's going to become law this week. And I was saying this just to Erin yesterday. I could wake up tomorrow and decide I don't want to be married to Erin. And without any cause, as quick as a flash, I could walk away from the marriage, whether she wanted me to or not. Sometimes I can be a bit of a stinker. Don't ask her on those occasions whether she wants me to. But I could do it. Our world offers seemingly easy options in the manner of all of these difficult questions. And please, you know, I mention these things that they're not easy things, are they? And I raise them and I know sometimes they land with our hearts and these things, oh, they can sometimes hurt. Our world offers us easy options. Christians, we can do better than that. Our world is chewing people up and spitting them out. It's saying you can have anything, be anything, do anything. And yet it's destroying people left, right, and center. And so we turn uh, to the subject of, of power over these next few weeks. And to begin with, I just want to tell you a story. And it's a story that's being played out um, in our world right now. And you'll understand what the story is immediately when I tell you it's a story. Um, surprisingly enough, it's a story of three Vladimirs. Three Vladimirs. Now, some of you are like, well, I know one Vladimir. And, and the canny amongst you will know that there's someone else called Vladimir, or should I say Volodymyr, which is the Ukrainian way of saying it. So maybe you've got a bit of a sense of where we're going. But there's a third Vladimir. Vladimir the Great. That's what they call him. Saint Vladimir, perhaps, if you're an Orthodox Christian. If you're an Orthodox Christian, welcome. Uh, you've probably found this a bit strange. But bless you. Uh, you are very, very welcome. I imagine if you were like me, you probably didn't know much about Ukraine before this all transpired over recent weeks and months. Didn't know much about its history or culture or language or geography. I want to tell you the story of the three Vladimirs or Volodymyrs. A long time ago, in the 10th century, in fact, there was a ruler of what was then called the Kievan Rus. And this area that kind of approximates to kind of ethnic Russia, as it were, plus Belarus and Ukraine, um, was ruled by Vladimir, who became Vladimir or Volodymyr the Great. And the Kievan Rus was a flourishing, was quite a large, multi-ethnic state, albeit a pagan one, Slavic pagan. Uh, and, and over a number of decades, indeed centuries, up until this point in the 10th century, it had been the beneficiary of missionaries visiting from uh, you know, people like St. Cyril, and St. Methodius. I like the name St. Methodius. I think if you're going to get a missionary, St. Methodius, he's going to get it done, isn't he, with a name like that? He's just, I know exactly what the plan is, and we shall deliver the plan, and everyone will be saved. St. Methodius. I don't feel like a St. Methodius. I'm more of a St. Haphazardius or something like that. I don't know. Um, but they're, they're, these kind of people were coming into the Kievan Rus, um, and people were being converted. There were Christians in the country. Not so Vladimir. Vladimir uh, was a pagan ruler indeed, and the culture actually involved 
pretty horrendous religious practice, including human sacrifice. Uh, on one occasion, um, the, 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 the ballot was taken for who would be sacrificed to the, the, pig, the pagan uh, deities um, to help them to win in battle. And the lot fell to the son of a Christian guy. And he said, you can't take my son. And actually, rather than hiding his son or kind of running away, this guy bravely chose to make this point an opportunity for the gospel. And he shared the story of how they didn't need to sacrifice his son because another son had already been sacrificed for them. You know what he's talking about? Jesus Christ. You see, they weren't ready to listen. They killed them both. And they became the first Christian martyrs in Kiev and Rus. But because of them, and people like Cyril and Methodius, something was happening. Something was changing. Something was changing in the heart of Vladimir, Vladimir the Great as he was to become known. And he, he started to realize that all of these pagan deities and idols and things that he'd been seeking, they weren't satisfying. He started to trust the word of these missionaries that there was one true God. And so, you know, the story's a bit convoluted. I won't tell you all of it. But in the end, he agreed that it was the Christian God. And having on one occasion shoved one of his um, wooden idols into uh, the river there in Kiev, um, he was baptized in the river uh, and, and told everybody in the city to get baptized. It was the beginning of the Christianization of that Kievan Rus. And, and, and that's why you have Saint Vladimir as the patron saint of Russia and Saint Volodymyr as the patron saint of Ukraine. And, and that's why Kiev is such an important place for the history of all of these peoples. You thought you were coming for a sermon, not a history lesson, didn't you? Uh, this is, it's quite important, but it's important for us to start to understand the subject of power. His conversion story was strange, but it was evidenced by a life that was transformed. During his then Christian reign, Vladimir lived the teachings of the Bible through acts of charity. He would hand out food and drink to the less fortunate, and he made an effort to, to go out to people who could not reach him. He wasn't all high and mighty waiting for everyone to come to him. He would go to people in need. His work was based on the impulse to help one's neighbors, and he shared the burden of carrying their cross. He founded numerous churches, established schools, protected the poor, and introduced church courts. He lived mostly at peace with his neighbors, which is quite a change for somebody who had been a violent warlord before. And he gave up his 800 concubines and settled down with one wife. Quite a change as well. He introduced a new law code into his territories following his conversion from, from the Byzantine Christian neighbors. But he reformed it yet further. He abolished the death penalty along with judicial torture and mutilation. I think we can all agree that was good news. That's quite a change from somebody who used to practice human sacrifice to somebody who said, actually, you shouldn't lay a hand on somebody else. It's changed. He was changed. All in all, he was a man who had inherited immense power and he became a creative force for good. A creative force, the influence of which is still being felt to this day. He had almost absolute power in his realm. And the saying goes that absolute power corrupts absolutely. But, but you know, even alongside him, his power had been converted. His power became a force for good, for grace, for the gospel. Well, we fast forward many, many centuries. 
And after the inevitable changes of boundaries and states that happen in our world, we've got two more Vladimirs, or rather the Ukrainian Volodymyr and the Russian Vladimir. And both Russia and the Ukraine trace their roots back. Now they see the inheritance of the power is very different. On the one hand, we have the Russian Vladimir Putin seeking, so he says, to reestablish this, this empire actually once centered upon Kiev. That's why it's so precious and important to them. He claims he's doing it in the name of Christ oftentimes, but actually he has much more in common with the pre-Christian, the pagan Vladimir the Great. The power is wielded by Putin, but it does not create, no matter how hard he tries. His power only destroys. On the other hand is Volodymyr. Volodymyr Zelensky. We all know that name now, don't we? Did you enjoy April Fool's Day this year? Does anybody like April Fool's Day? Do you, do you play pranks on one another? Does anybody? I heard of one young person who sent their mum a text from school saying, Mum, I took a test in school and I've got COVID. And, and when the mum picked up the text, she got on her lunch hour, rang up her daughter, and her daughter said, only kid in April Fool's. That's not funny, is it? That's just not funny. Um, so uh, the mum said this to their colleagues, and, uh, and the colleagues said, and the colleagues said um, what you need to do is, you need to say that because you had to take the day off to go and pick up your daughter, that you lost your job. And then when the daughter comes home and you tell them that they've lost your job, then you say, April Fools! Um, and it's, these things escalate, don't they? Now, the reason I mention this is because um, every year the BBC releases a list of things that seem like they're going to be April Fools jokes, but they're actually true stories. And in 2019, they released this list. And on the list, there were things like this. Um, one of the list uh, said... Um, uh, there was a gold-dusted Wagyu burger being served at a restaurant in Tokyo. Why? But it's true. And another one was that Elon Musk was releasing a rap song about a gorilla. That doesn't sound real, does it? But apparently that was true. And in 2019, one of these stories that seemed like an April's Fool's was about Volodymyr Zelensky. Because at the time, he was about to be elected. And this, this kind of um, comedy TV star was about to become the president of Ukraine. And everyone thought, that's got to be an April Fool's joke, hasn't it? Three years later, we see such a difference. We see that this guy, Volodymyr Zelensky, has sought to use what little power he has. Comparatively, it seemed smaller, it seemed limited. Even people in his country were like, I don't know whether he's a good president or not, I couldn't tell you. It didn't seem like he had much. But he sought to use what little power he had to strengthen and to encourage and to equip his people in the face of monstrous evil. And he used what little powers he had, the power of his, his voice and his words and his presence to, to mobilize even the governments of democratic countries around the world to face down dictatorial warmongering. What a difference, not just in him, but what a difference of the powers. Both of these men and these countries seeing themselves as the offspring of the conversion in the country of Vladimir the Great. Yet the difference between the creative power of Volodymyr Zelensky and his Ukraine and the destructive power of Vladimir Putin and his Russia, and I know I'm not talking about every Russian, I'm certainly not, but the Putin ideal 
is horrifically evident. Power. Power. Now look, as we've said when we've considered the topics of money or of sex, we've, we've considered them actually in two kind of ways. We've said that, 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 that they're really not things in themselves except that they're products of things. And actually sometimes they can be used for good or for ill and, and actually they can be uh, you know, converted or even perverted for, for, for purposes within our world. It, look, it's very true about power. Richard Foster in this book, he puts it like this. He says, look, if money hits us in the pocketbook and sex hits us in the bedroom, power hits us in our relationships. Power profoundly impacts our interpersonal relationships, our social relationships, and our relationships with God. And he says this, which we see in that story I shared with you. Power can destroy or create. The power that destroys demands ascendancy. It demands total control. It destroys relationships. It destroys dialogue. It destroys integrity. And this is true whether we look at the macrocosm of human history or the microcosm of our own personal histories. We see this. It's there within human life. I, uh, I see it just even in my kids as they grow up and how there is a, a creative power within them and, and there is potentially a destructive power as well. And, you know, you give my kids a, a crayon or a pencil and a bit of paper or whatever and they will create. They will just go at it. I, we've got through, I don't know how many trees of paper in my house. I feel a little bad about it, uh, but there is no stopping them. But the wonderful thing is that when the kids get hold of something like that and they create something, when they do their very best work, and you know how it is if you're a parent, anything your child presents to you, you're like, that's amazing. That's the best thing I've ever seen. It's incredible. Uh, but then sometimes they really do pull it out of the bag and it really is amazing. But when they do their best work, instantly, this is what happens with my kids. I'm sure it's true with everyone's kids. They say, I'm going to give it to and, it, and they want to give it to their cousins or, or their grandparents or they want to pin it on the fridge. Did we get that picture of my fridge? Here's a picture of my fridge. It's a state. It's an, it, it, have we got it? There's a picture of my fridge here. It was supposed to be a picture of my There it is. Can you even see a fridge behind all of that? That's what my fridge looks like in my house. It's covered with stuff because when they create, they want to give it away. They just want to give it away. We can take the picture of my fridge away now. Thank you. You don't get to see the inside of my fridge. <laughs> um, they just want to give it away. This is the, this is the power to create. It's instinctive in the best of their moments. And yet, when they're not really kind of using that power to create, they become less generous. Actually, when they're receiving things, then the power to accumulate comes out very quickly. And does anybody know it's difficult to share? Does anybody know that? Does anyone still find it difficult to share? Just with food. <laughs> this is why I bought lots of food for later. Um, there's a, a power that creates and it's generous and giving. But there's a power to accumulate and it's destructive and it's selfish. It's always been so, you know. Consider Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, in paradise. Everything they could ever need, everything they could ever want. Peace, purpose, provision, even the very presence of God. And yet they wanted more. 
It seems nuts when you think about it like that, doesn't it? How could you want more? Yet they wanted more. They wanted and were willing even to to break and to destroy, to get more, to break God's good command, even to break relationship with God, with dreadful sin. They wanted the one thing that they'd been told would harm them, and yet they wanted it. Richard Foster says that the sin of the garden was the sin of power, and he makes an important point. They wanted to to not only be loved and provided for by God, they wanted to be their own gods, to have power and mastery. And they thought, I can have everything, and I can do it my own way. And it destroys it's a sin which infected the offspring of Adam and Eve. And, you know, just like we were saying, these kind of two Vladimirs are kind of like the offspring of the, that Vladimir the Great. Look, it's a sin that infects, and it infected the offspring of Adam and Eve. You know, you just go the very next generation, and there we have uh, two lads, Cain and Abel. And the story is tragic. The choice had lain before Adam and Eve, and they chose wrongly. And each of us have to, have to make these choices for ourselves. We have to determine whether the power that God gives us is, is going to be used to create and to give, or to accumulate and to take. We've each got to determine whether our lives are about getting more or giving more, about doing good work, which is a good thing, Or whether we get infected with the idea that we have to do better, do better than our colleagues, drive a better car than our neighbors. We have to choose whether we're going to be about the creative use of the power that God has placed in humanity, creatively living out the kingdom of God in the here and now, or choose whether we're going to choose the the destructive power of using up everything left in this here and now to build our own little kingdoms. The tragic outworking in Cain and Abel looked like this. Not only did Adam and Eve destroy relationship with God, but the destruction carried on. Adam, well, he soon blamed Eve for his own sin and destruction came there and there was a curse upon all creation and the curse played itself out in their marriage. But then Cain and Abel came along. I don't know whether you you kind of ever looked into this, but, but Adam and Eve, they named their firstborn Cain. And the sense within the name there is, I have it. His very name means possession. Getting, getting something. I don't, I don't know kind of exactly how this plays itself out, but we can make some assumptions. You know, maybe as Cain came, she thought, well, in this hard world that's been born out of our sin, at least there's another generation to look after me in my old age. Or maybe somebody to carry on our family name to the next generation. I have it. Or maybe, if we're being a bit more kind, she'd heard the promises of God that he was going to save them in spite of their sin. He was going to make a way for things to be made new. And maybe she's thinking with Cain, I have it. The hope of salvation has come. But even within the name, there's a sense of possession, using the power to to have more, to accumulate, to gain. Interestingly enough, then comes along uh, the second-born son, Abel. And the name, at least in that context, it means a vapor or a breath. It's a a meaning that has almost like a transience or or, or a a lack of value. 
And in Ecclesiastes, that same word in the Hebrew is translated over and over again to mean vanity, to mean just something that really doesn't matter at all. And it's hard to escape the sense that for Eve and Adam, as they named their kids, here's Cain, I have it. He's the salvation. And Abel, well, you know. What is happening is, she's starting to believe, they're starting to believe that their power means that they can do it on their own. Their power means that they can do it on their own. They don't need to look to God's purposes with any humility or nuance. It's it's as though she's saying, look at what Adam and I have done. We are enough. We have enough. We can create. We'll be fine. And still this sense of power is producing something quite the opposite. Uh, Probably you know the story. Cain, the offspring of the power of Adam and Eve, kills his brother Abel. Kills because he can't have, can't possess the blessing of God. Can't manipulate the favor of God. He has power which destroys. And yet Abel, the overlooked, the extra, the breath. He uses what little power he has in the story to humbly offer a better gift to God. His creative power gives his best to God and it is acceptable. And even his blood, in the moment that seems the weakest it could be, the blood that's poured out into the ground, his blood calls out to God. We can perhaps see these echoes in Ukraine even now, and and we see blood spilt of those who seem to lack power, and yet creatively it calls out to our world and says, there must be a better way. Please God, it'll be realized. But thanks be to God, the blood of Abel, which was poured out into the ground and called out for justice, it foreshadowed the fact that that Jesus' own blood would be spilt at the cross and poured out into our earth. That Jesus' blood would call out to the Father on our behalf and be the means of justice within our world. There is power that destroys. It's the power that thinks, I've got it, I have it, I can do it. And then there's power that creatively gives and brings salvation. It's the same story over and over and over again in the scriptures. You know, if you look at the, uh, the, the children of Isaac, there we have Esau that seems like the powerful man of promise. He's rugged. He's capable. Yet all his power can do is consume. He hunts and he eats. And he's a man of appetites and nothing much more. He's strong enough to go and get what he wants and get what he needs and satisfy his stomach and satisfy his appetites. I don't know how else he satisfied himself, but it certainly seems within the character. All this power, all this strength, but it doesn't create a thing. In actual fact, it's the weaker. It's, it's Jacob, the younger, with all his faults and failures. Don't forget, no one else in the Bible is the savior except for Jesus. And he is full of faults and failures. But it's this younger, this weaker, is the one that God sets his love upon. There's this kind of nasty little saying, really, that has kind of sprung out of, I think, royal families and royal lineages, that when they would look at the next generation, the idea would be that they would want, how do they put it, an heir and a spare. Have you ever heard that? That royal families, they're looking to get an heir and a spare. 
You know, you need someone to carry it on, and then you have kind of a backup in case it all goes wrong. Air and a spare. It's a pretty crude way of looking at your families, isn't it? Uh, no parents here are ever thinking, I need one good one, and then some backups. Um, that's not how we look at our children. Some of you are looking at me now. This is not how you should look at your children. I just want to point that out right now. Um, look, it's kind of how royal families have kind of done this kind of thing. But that's not how God operates. God graciously grants limitless potential to humanity. But when we fall into this trap of thinking that we've got it, got the air, forget the spare. I've got it, the rest is vapor. When we fall into this trap, then we utterly miss the fact that God works in surprising ways. That his power, his strength is made perfect in weakness. That's what the Bible says story is such an interesting one and time doesn't permit us today but but in Romans chapter 9 looking back at the story of these guys and and how the power creatively went away you would never expect the Bible says though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad this is talking about Jacob and Esau in order that God's purpose of election might continue not because of works but because of him who calls because not because of not because of what we do but because of God the one who puts things into motion. She was told, that's the, the mum, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Though they'd not yet been born, though they'd not done anything, God chose to place his favor on the weaker. And out of this came his creative purposes. Power isn't what you think it is. It isn't about capacity or ability or strength or wisdom or any of these kinds of things or or the ability to accumulate. It isn't about the trappings of, of things that we're told are good within our world. God determines according to what God determines. It's way beyond our understanding. He places limitless potential within people, incredible power, but it never looks like what you think it's gonna look like. Over and over again, the Bible teaches us this. All power comes from God. We can have no pride in this. Look, if, if you're beautiful or you're handsome, I say if you're beautiful or handsome, quite clearly you all are beautiful and handsome. Um, but, but if you are these kinds of things, look, if you are intelligent or wise, if you're strong, if you have skills and abilities, they are all the gift of God. If you work hard with healthy bodies or capacities to earn, those things are the gift of God. He granted what he granted before you were born. There can be no pride. If there is pride, it corrupts what power God has given. And it becomes then power to accumulate and to destroy, not to create and give away. We can look at countless examples in the scriptures. How about Saul and David? Saul, the Bible says, he was handsome. He was head and shoulders, literally bigger than anyone else in the kingdom. This guy was a warrior extraordinaire. People flocked to him. They thought he was wonderful. And God's hand was upon him until the power corrupted. And David comes into the picture. And the hearts of the people go with him. And though Saul had so much going for him, he couldn't celebrate the goodness that God had created in David. The story tells us again, a bit like Esau consuming, eating more and more. He wanted to consume David's musical ability to soothe his troubled soul. He wanted to use David's military ability to save his troubled reign. 
yet Saul's corrupted heart could only consume, use, and destroy. When he couldn't win the people's hearts, he would rather have killed David than see him flourish and, and follow him for the good of the sake of the people. He destroyed what relationship he had with David. He even destroyed the relationship he had with his own son. It's always been the way. Relationship after relationship is destroyed as people use power instead of being creative and giving to destroy and gain more. And so to the disciples of Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 9, we find this stunning kind of moment. And if you read it for yourself, you'll see Jesus has just told his disciples that he's going to die. He's going to go to the cross. And in this stunning act that, that he, the Bible tells us, is the image of the invisible God. By him, through him, for him, all things were made. He is the absolute concentration, we might think, of power in the world. And yet he said, I'm going to give it all. I'm going to give myself. I'm going to allow even my own lifeblood to pour out onto the ground for you. And after he said that, Luke chapter 9 says that they worshipped him and loved him and contemplated the beauty of this demonstration. No, it doesn't. It says an argument arose among them. Jesus said, I'm going to give everything I've got. I'm going to give it all away. All the power that is in me, I'm going to give it away. And it says an argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you, least among you all, is the one who is great. This is what power is. It's given to all humanity. But God intends that we might create and give away, not accumulate and destroy. If God has given you any power, It's not that you might have pride in the achievement of your own arm or your own wisdom or your own opportunity. It's not so you might accumulate more or have that bit extra or these nice things or whatever it might be. This is redundant. It's so you can give, create and give, create and give, create and give. This is how God intended his creation to be. Not that it was set in stone, but that it might flourish more and become more. And that actually you and I might steward his creation well and and actually create more and and actually then be able to bless more through the creation that we've given. Look, this was God's intention from the very beginning. When Jesus came into the world in Matthew chapter 9, he's doing incredible healings and miracles. And and in chapter 9 and verse 8 of Matthew, we're told the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. His power in Jesus. How does he use it? He uses it to heal and to create. He creates eyes where there weren't eyes. He brings people back to life when they were dead. It's absolutely incredible. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 27, people are listening to the way Jesus is is speaking the kingdom of God into being. And they say, what is this? A new teaching? With authority, he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. There's power in Jesus Christ. And yet he's giving it freely. 
But not only does he do incredibly powerful things to bless people, he wants to give his power so that others can do incredibly good things to bless people. You read on in the scriptures and in chapter 9 that we were just talking about, Jesus isn't inviting them to argue about who's the greatest. He's already giving them power. At the beginning of chapter 9, we, we read that Jesus calls the 12 together. He gives them power and authority. He gives them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases, sends them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal. And they did exactly that. Jesus gives his power away. He's always given his power away. You know, we read it at the beginning of the book of Acts when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. He's giving his power away. And the disciples are scrabbling around saying, who's the most powerful? Who's the greatest? And Jesus is saying, I've given all my power to this kid. What are you talking about? If you're like this kid, you want to be that kind of disciple, that's where the power is. A profound change is needed in each of our hearts. And we're going to come around the table today as we conclude that speaks to us of the profound change of power. Look, this world is preaching a gospel to you and it says you need to get more, do more, be more, say more, look more. And, and, and many of us, we've bought it. Galatians chapter 3, Paul says to them, he says, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? He says, you didn't enter into this gospel by means of your own power, by the law, by your ability to, to do and to be and to look. He says it was the Spirit of God. You got it just by hearing through faith. That was it. Why are you trying a new way? If you're a Christian, why are you trying a new way? God gave you power to create. He's given everything you could possibly have. Why would you believe the lie of this world that the power you have is to accumulate? Accumulation is followed by destruction. When did you last give? When did you last go to somebody in need? When did you last speak that word of grace? When did you last pray for someone else before you prayed for yourself? When was the last time you reshaped your diary so that you could commit yourself into community rather than determining that your, uh, your own kind of life was more important? Jesus, all power, so go. All power, he says, and he gives, and he gives it freely, and he gives it freely. We believe too often this world's narrative that we are, that what we make ourselves. We believe that it's by our own intelligence, our hard work in education, our hard work in our jobs, our good choices, our sacrifices. We fail to realize that the brains that we learn with are a gift from God. The schools that we study in are a gift of others made ours by God's hand of providence. We fail to notice that our ability to work hard is the gift of God in our bodies and in our upbringing. Our sacrifices are made because we are already blessed and have something to sacrifice. We make good choices because we have been exposed to the right way, because we have communities around us informing us and helping us. Look, there is no pride in any of these things. The power that you have is the gift of God. And the power that we believe we have is becomes a power that consumes 
and doesn't create. We accumulate more often more than we need and we content ourselves to watch the struggles of others, to insulate ourselves from one another. God grants his power. It's the power of the cross. It's creative power that gives and gives and gives again. We're going to come around this table that is packed full of creative power. It's the power that gives and gives and gives again. It's power that never runs dry. Do you know we're 2,000 years from the moment that Christ's hands and feet were pierced, from the moment the spear was pushed into his side and the blood ran out. Do you think the blood has run dry? Do you think the blood has run dry? Do you think that the cross is less powerful today than it was on that first day? The cross is as powerful today to save and to make you everything that you want to be. And it's that powerful today. Stop trusting in yourself to make another way. I don't believe any of you here want to be like Vladimir Putin. And I'm not putting that on you. But that's the trajectory. That's the trajectory of power And it can Christianize itself as much as it wants, and Putin does, but it ain't Christian. The power that gives, that says, I may not have much according to the eyes of this world, but I will use it to create and to give, and then create and to give. And and if I come to the end of my days, and there's not a penny piece in my bank balance, and and nothing much to my name, but I have used everything I have to create and to give, and to create and to give, then I will have done exactly what God called of my life. Spiritually speaking, God gives you everything. You don't have to make yourself anything. God gives and he invites you to give. If he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. This is the manner of power. This is what power is. Will he not give you everything that you need? Stop scraping around. Stop using the days that you have to get something that you can't keep. What a worthless waste. Create and give. You're so powerful. You're so powerful. Create and give. Create and give. Create and give. Pour it out like Jesus poured it out on the cross. This is the way of the Christian. You're so powerful in him. And you're scratching around trying to accumulate and consume. It'll destroy you and it'll destroy everyone around you. Church, would you bow your heads in prayer? As we come to take these cups, the bread that speaks of Jesus Christ's body broken for you and the cup that speaks of his blood poured out, oh, church, I urge you. Now, just as God spoke to Moses, he asks you this morning, what have you got in your hand? You've got so much more than you think you have. You You live in such fear thinking, what if I never have or what if I never am? God has already put so much in your hand. He's already made so much of you by means of his grace. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. God invites you to see the power of the cross at work within you. He gave it away. 
He gave away his power to all who would believe. He says, I'm going to fill you with my spirit. I'm going to be with you until the end of the age. You don't need to be afraid. As we come around this table, my urgent prayer for you is, how can you create and give, not accumulate and destroy? Oh, Christians, oh, church, arise. Have you no idea how powerful you are? No one else has this but you. No one else has this but the people of the cross. You alone can create and give in this manner, in this world. Oh, will you? I would urge you as we worship God now, just present your life to him. Present yourself to him. Living sacrifices. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Say, Jesus, I thank you that the power of the cross is at work within me. It's incredible. I thank you. I thank you, God, that you've made me with incredible promise. You've given your power to me. Your spirit is in me. Help me, Jesus. Help me to create and give. With every scrap of power you've given me, help me to create and give. And as you pray that prayer, and as we worship the one who gave it all, come, receive the cup, take, eat, drink, and know that he's with you, and his blood will never run dry, and he is everything that you need. Amen. Let's worship him.
Once again, it's been such a delight to be able to share together as a church this morning. And uh, we know uh, that taking what God has been doing in our lives, we can go and have wonderful weeks with him. Just to um, invite you um, to journey together with one another as we go through the week. We as a church, we don't just gather, but we get going into what God has for us together. And we have these things called transform communities. We would love to help you to connect with other like-minded people who are exploring God's goodness and grace and seeing how they can be a part of his transforming work in the world. So again, hit us up, get in touch. We'd love to help you to connect. Anything that you need, any prayer requests, do let us know. And we'll love to see you again this time next week. God bless you and bye for now.